Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that will pay you $500 right now for a pair of flats. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2. Lonnie, this episode's Four Color Facts is like a case study in why me not watching ahead is maybe not the best plan ever. (laughs) Because it is definitely like I'm covering some of my greatest hits, but whatever, it'll all be great in the end. Yeah, I like that you're unspoiled on it, although it does, I think, kind of, you know, limit you a little bit in what you know what to talk about, you know? Well, absolutely, which that part I can work around. But in this case, we're going to talk about some stuff that I really legitimately needed to discuss back mm-hmm. during Agent Carter, for instance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's spoiled and it is what it is. But I also talked a lot about a big reveal character for these four episodes in Daredevil. And had I known, <laughs> I probably would have punted, you know. <laughs> that's But I didn't fun. know. Yeah, it's fine. So let's start with our apparent big bad for the season, or for mm-hmm. at least these first few episodes, Daniel Whitehall. Oh, yeah. Now, in the 616, he is also known as Leo, a mm-hmm. less than stellar code name, and the Kraken, a much more impressive code name. Yes, absolutely. He is also not an ex-Nazi turned Hydra bigwig in the 616. He oh. is a British Secret Service operative who was inducted into the Great Wheel of the Zodiac, that endeavor of espionage we discussed during Agent Carter, that was started by the immortal Leonardo da Vinci, and that's where he received the codename Leo. It's his astrological... Well, I don't know if it's his astrological sign. It's an (laughs) astrological sign. Why did Leonardo, whose name is Leo, not take Leo and give Daniel Whitehall something like, I don't know, Aquarius? (laughs) Ah, because... Code names are supposed to hide your oh, identity. I guess that's the point of the code name, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And I believe that Leonardo da Vinci himself was the Libra. Like he was oh. the scales upon which the whole thing balanced. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, surprising absolutely no one, a meta espionage group made up of people who hate and mistrust one another blew up in da Vinci's face. <laughs> And when everyone went their separate ways, Whitehall joined Hydra. Mm -hmm. And he took a new codename, The Kraken. All right. This codename is thematically on point because he worked behind the scenes in total secrecy from beneath the waves, if you will. And would disappear any intelligence operative that tried to prove his existence. Quite a few (laughs) S.H.I.E.L.D. agents just vanished off the face of the map because they started looking for the Kraken. Wow. Yeah. So Whitehall believed it was his destiny to make people into what they were meant to be. And to that end, the Kraken trained or mentored all of Hydra's greatest assets, including a woman who was codenamed Viper, who would eventually become Madam Hydra. And she is amazing and i really hope that i get to talk about her and i have some hope for that because i know agents of shield stays very hydra focused so my fingers are crossed all right (laughs) 
Now, eventually, the already aging and dying Whitehall was murdered in his own home by Jake Fury, Nick Fury's brother, right. who was also known as Scorpio. Aha. We've talked a little bit about him before because the Great Wheel of the Zodiac became the Zodiac Cartel, which, you know, one of the espionage organizations that spun out of Leonardo's bad ideas. <laughs> and Jake used his organization to declare war on Nick Fury to, and did it in such secrecy that for a long time, Nick and S.H.I.E.L.D. did not know that Jake was Scorpio. They wow. just knew they had a new enemy. Yeah. Wow. So Jake Fury murders the Kraken, takes his magical helmet and armor, mm -hmm. and declares himself the new Kraken. I'm All not right. talking any more about that because I doubt we ever really get to deal with Nick Fury's brother Jake since the Nick Fury of the MCU is so different. But just yeah. in case there's more <laughs> Zodiac, I'm stepping away. All right. Now, this is also a spot where I have to admit that I missed another member of the Great Wheel. Uh-huh. John Garrett was also a member under the codename Aquarius. Oh, neat. So I missed a thing there. Now, to be fair to myself, mm -hmm. I only read Secret Warriors once, which is where mm -hmm. that concept is introduced. Right. And it was a volume big enough to rival a family Bible. <laughs> oh, <God>. So <laughs> I literally sat at the kitchen table like an eighth grader doing his homework, reading this giant comic book. Mm -hmm. And it was before I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., obviously. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also, my, my biggest mitigating factor, John Garrett is the most basic bitch name for a secret agent I've ever heard. So. Oh, it seriously there was is. <laughs> no way that was going to stick with me from this giant tome. Right, know? right. Now, speaking of Whitehall, he mentions the Faustus method. Mm -hmm. And I just want to remind everyone that there was a guy who was sort of Dr. Faustus from the 616 in Agent Carter. He was a Leviathan mm -hmm. agent hypnotizing everybody. Yeah. And apparently Hydra learned some tricks, and Whitehall is using them. And anyway, I talk a lot about Dr. Faustus back in our Agent Carter episode, so go back there. See? Greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice little bit of continuity. And I think the further we go through, you know, all of this material in this, like, really expansive universe, we're going to have a lot more of that overlap. Yes, and I feel like, much to my chagrin... Mm -hmm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. probably cares more about that bigger universe continuity than the movies do most of the time. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Which is okay. I, well, I mean, it's the difference between serialized fiction and sort of serialized big stories. I mean, yes. I, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of thinking on that I'm not going to bore you with now because we need to talk about Lance Hunter. Oh, yes. Do talk about Lance Hunter. I love Lance Hunter. I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Lance Hunter a lot. Mm -hmm. But the 616 Lance Hunter is actually the British counterpart to Nick Fury. Uh-huh. He is the director of Strike, the United Kingdom's answer to S.H.I.E.L.D. from mm -hmm. back when S.H.I.E.L.D. was mostly an American institution. We've talked about that before, that that kind of, sure. mm -hmm. that target floats, I think, both in the MCU and the 616. And I actually make the case that the MCU S.H.I.E.L.D. can't decide what it is because the 616 S.H.I.E.L.D. has not been able to decide what it was over the course of, you know, 40 or 50 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So STRIKE stands for Special Tactical Reserve for International Key Emergencies. And again, mm -hmm. we really wanted it to spell STRIKE, I guess. Right. <laughs> 
And obviously, again, much like we talked about in Agent Carter and some in S.H.I.E.L.D., this comes from those golden days when you weren't shit in the spy-fi game unless your name was an overcomplicated acronym. Right. (laughs) Lance Hunter first appeared in Captain Britain Weekly, number 19, cover dated February 1977. Wow. Captain Britain Weekly was an anthology series from the British Marvel imprint Marvel UK. Now, Marvel UK mainly handled reprints of Marvel material, just in England, right? Mm-hmm. But with Captain Britain Weekly, they took their first steps into original content. Although all this was still written by American creators and overseen by American editors. So, oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sort of wondering how. I mean, that's all way before computers, so I can just imagine there's a lot of faxing things. I don't know. Yes. You know. <laughs> Uh, We also get name-dropped another 616 S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Mm -hmm. Isabel Hartley. Now, there's not much to say about her in the 616, and I think, sadly, there's not much to say about her in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. either. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the place where those two things dovetail is that in the 616, she's Victoria Hand's former girlfriend. Oh. Now, I'm led to believe that this was going to be a thing in the show, But Mm -hmm. since both of those ladies come to a bad end, the creators decided to not take part in the barrier gaze trope. I guess so. But I don't I don't know. I don't think we have gay characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or any that we've really acknowledged unless I'm I'm missing something because I didn't think. But like, I'm honestly I don't think we have that much. So it would have been nice, I think, to have, you know. A, a couple but but again you know we don't want them all to die but then again right a lot that's of the trick i mean <laughs> there's literally a name for this right you go to yes. tv tropes and it's and mm-hmm. it's capital b bury your gaze you yes. know so mm-hmm. I, uh i mean yes i think some uh alternative sexual lifestyle or differently gendered people i mean all of that yeah. would be amazing on agents of shield but not just so we can murder them in cold blood not Let's just not so we can that. murder them i would like yeah. to see a little more variety Variety, not to be quite so heteronormative on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but you're right. I don't want to see them, you know, be introduced only to be killed immediately. So that's that's a shame. Isabel Hartley, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I'm kind of annoyed yeah. about it, but we'll, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, speaking of completely misplaced information, let's talk about Carl Creel, a.k.a. Sure. the Absorbing Man. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not going to talk about him a lot because I talked about him for a long time in an episode of Daredevil because Carl Creel may or may not be the guy that Matt Murdock's dad beat Nine Shades of Hell out of when Matt was right. a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, the age on this guy makes that seem very unlikely to me. Mm-hmm. But... This is, again, a reminder I haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I would probably have talked about Creel here instead. Yeah. Uh, but but I like I like the idea that multiple teams are pulling from the 616 bench. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to grind an axe, this is yet another arrow in my quiver that the <laughs> Netflix shows aren't really part of the MCU. But anyway, uh-huh. that's a whole other <laughs> argument that we can have later. Uh, mm-hmm. If anybody cares, because they're all getting canceled anyway. So, ha <laughs> right. I'm not really laughing. I'm not laughing about them getting canceled. I'm laughing about it not mattering that I have spent years arguing <laughs> that they aren't actually part of the MCU. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that there is is possibility they may show up somewhere else. But until that happens, we just have to accept that they've all been canceled. Yeah. 
That's right. And I put my and I put my needless argument in my back pocket until then. All right. All right. <laughs> my last honorable mention is Agent 33. Mhm. She is the woman that is being brainwashed with the Faustus method throughout a couple of these episodes and then she shows up and is very important in I think the last one of the four that we watched. Um mm-hmm. But she's not important in the 616 at all. There has been an Agent 33. I- I'm not sure that they even ever said her name. And yes. I'm mostly interested in her because she's the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that recruited Hercules to beat up Ares that one time. <laughs> well, I like that. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. The series Incredible Hercules spun mm-hmm. out of a big story called World War Hulk where Hulk was no longer around. And Mm -hmm. so Hercules took over his book. So instead of the Incredible Hulk, it became the Incredible Herc. And Uh that run is phenomenal. (laughs) Like it is just an endless delight of Hercules and his kid sidekick Amadeus Cho, the seventh smartest guy in the MCU, getting into scraps. It's so good. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. It really is. All right. Well, one of the things that we wanted to do uh, to kind of fill out the four color facts a little bit, since you don't know what's coming, but I do, um, is a little segment that we're going to call the lightning round. And um, one of the things, of course, that delights me most is when I ask a question and Joshua will go completely off script. You guys can't tell because he pulls in just as much detail (laughs) as when he's got it all scripted out and researched. And that just amuses me beyond the telling of it. So um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Now, those of you out there who are listening may recognize some potential spoilers in some of these questions. And some of them are just questions that sort of came up, uh, you know, in the background of the episodes that I thought might be interesting to ask about. Um, So all of you out there shouting at Joshua, I am going to try to keep my poker face on. (laughs) And uh, and it's going to be really interesting, but we'll see what happens. So the first question is... But but to be fair, if I absolutely nail it, you have to tell me. Okay, uh, if you nail like, it, I, I will mean, tell you. If I just kill it, like ninety percent or better, you got to throw me a bone here. You know? Okay, no, I absolutely, okay. I absolutely will. I'll tell you if you're right. But I just, you know, we're trying to like not spoil in this in this thing. But this is kind of fun for me. I want to see if he if he picks up on anything. But anyway, all right. The first question of this lightning round is, um, what is up with Billy Koenig and his weird brothers? We have this line from Trip where he says it's a little bit strange. I mean, they're exactly the same. You really think they were just twins? Come on. And Koenig's always mentioned other brothers every day another brother there's something fishy going on there so joshua based on your vast knowledge of comic books do you have any idea what's going on with koenig and i'm not going to say whether we ever get that answer or not i just thought trip was asking an interesting question okay so i have a couple of theories but they aren't great honestly um Mm -hmm. because I, I think that this kind of just started as a nod at 616 stuff that mm-hmm. there there were two Koenig brothers, right? Like yeah. I mentioned during Howling Commando stories that people would get like captured or they'd go off on a secret mission or they'd turn out to be traitors or, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that there was a small rotating cast in the Howling mm-hmm. Commandos. And that's how Koenig, who was just an anti-Nazi German, came to mm-hmm. be part of them, right? And then yes. later they did reveal that he has a brother. I think it was even... I think it was even a twin brother, but I, mm-hmm. I haven't read as much of the Howling Commando stuff because it's um, it's war comics. And so yes. it does kind of intersect with Marvel things, but it's not, you know, like my first number one love. So he might have right. even been a twin twin brother. But there were mm-hmm. only two. <laughs> there weren't an endless <laughs> sea of Koenigs. 
So this being Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it being more willing than most of the MCU to absorb the weirdness, I have two <laughs> big theories, and I'm going to tell you the one that I think is kind of crap, but it's, okay. we have to talk about it. A bunch of clones. All right. Now, I'm just saying that because it's the most easy and obvious one, mm-hmm. and it's a thing that superhero and superhero-related media have been messing around with since... Well, I mean, um, Spider-Man had a very serious clone problem, I think, in the 70s with mm-hmm. the Jackal. Um, and then I can remember clones being a huge part of the 90s Lois and Clark New Adventures of Superman series, right? So yes. it's just a thing that they've done. I don't know that cloning Patton Oswalt for <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. makes the most sense, right? Like, he's fun, but he's not really like, oh, we've made a super agent. Crank out 10 of them. You know, doesn't. Well, you've made an incredible support person to, I mean, he was born to do that job. And they need support. No, that's a fair point. That I guess it depends on how inexpensive the cloning process is, right? Like Very if it's true. fairly low key, then it's like, <laughs> yeah, make me a bunch of awesome secretaries. Right. You know, I mean, there no shade. That would, I get yeah. it. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um the the thing that I think is a more likely scenario, mm-hmm. uh, based upon Shield weirdness, yes. is that they are LMDs. Right. They mm-hmm. are life model decoys. That's my guess. Uh, and that probably the one that died, yes, Eric was a real person because he bled, mm-hmm. you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. He did not have wires coming out of him in a very uh, late sure. '90s science fictiony way. Um, mm-hmm. But the rest of them could all be life model decoys who think that they are brothers. Mm-hmm. We have actually had S.H.I.E.L.D. in the 616 run by a life model decoy of Nick Fury that was 100% convinced he was the real Nick Fury mm-hmm. and convinced everyone else. Like he was so lifelike and so full of Nick Furyness that nobody questioned it. For years. Mm-hmm. And this was so Nick could go on a super secret, you know, mission. Um, and that, again, is so much thought that he was Nick Fury that when the real Nick Fury came back, he ran away and took over Zodiac so mm-hmm. he could go to war with S.H.I.E.L.D. run by the fake Fury, who was actually the real Fury. So <laughs> I say all that to say that extremely complicated and sophisticated life model decoys is a shield 616 staple mm-hmm. um so that's that's my other guess based upon the details that i have right now all right i will tell you this uh one of the possibilities that you set forth is correct um Ooh. and we will find out in season 4 <laughs> but until then it's just going to be weird yeah well i'm going to yeah. put money down on life model decoy honestly cuz i'm not sure a bunch of cloned canigs makes as much sense as mass produced cane well i mean they're mass produced either way i guess but mm-hmm. i feel like i feel like it, it would make a lot there would be a lot of fun to be had if that level of life model decoy became uh, part of the agents of shield tv mythos i would be down okay. for that so i'm putting my money there all right. For now. Well, let's not forget one of the options that you put up also is that they're just twins. That there's just. Yeah, but that's if that's what it turns out to be, then I'm going to just be really I'm going to be annoyed now. <laughs> well, we'll see, because whenever there is an episode that features Patton Oswalt, it usually ends up being a lot of fun. I love what they do with the Koenigs later. But he's not twins, right? He's like. They've mentioned at least three or four of them. I'm not keeping track, so I can't remember. But, I mean, I think there's been at least three or four mentioned. Yes, there are multiple. Anyway. 
<laughs> there are multiple Koenigs and one of your theories is correct. Mm-hmm. Triplets or quintuplets or whatever. It's fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, it is definitely a lot of fun. And it's one of my favorite parts of season four. So, um, so I actually really do enjoy that. Okay. My next question is the mystery of Sky's father. Now we saw the bleeding hand with Raina at the end of season one, right? That creepy little moment. Um, and now we're seeing uh, Raina hanging out with this guy. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts or theories on what his identity might be oh these are also a bunch of crap theories on well i mean (laughs) even if i get it right they're crap because i'm basing it off almost no information Mm -hmm. you know um and i'll be honest i have very little idea what the actual hell is going on with sky because i i do i do have a minor spoiler about her because a version of her became part of the 616 later, or they were mm-hmm. drawing from it and deciding to make her a secret. I'm a little fuzzy on the the time frame, yeah. but the person she becomes has versions that are prominent in Marvel properties that I like. For yes. instance, the animated stuff on Disney XD right now has included name redacted as one of the core characters in their Marvel Rising property that also has, Mm -hmm. you know, Squirrel Girls in there and Ms. Marvel and Miss America Chavez, a bunch of people I really like. So I watched Mm -hmm. that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So uh, her dad, Um, I'm reasonably certain Mm -hmm. that whatever is going on with Raina and Skye is because they have inhuman genetics. Um, Uh or Cree genetics. Like, I'm not sure how they're going to, I'm not sure how they're going to position that for the show. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Because there's a couple ways that could go. So I think they're either Cree related or inhuman related, which is kind of saying the same thing because inhumans are also kind of Cree related. Oh, Mm -hmm. we'll get there. (laughs) So, but what does that mean for him? Is he actually Cree himself? Um, Is he a member of the inhuman royal family but like a lesser member i mean it seems kind of early for that since they were so far away since this came out so long ago that they were still planning on the inhumans being a movie yeah Um, so that seems unlikely Mm -hmm. there's also a character who shows up some he's mainly an x-men problem but his name is the high evolutionary Mm -hmm. and he really is all about like janking around with people's genetics like he's been a problem for the fantastic four because he's a super scientist but but really mainly it's it's the x-men because mutants and genetics you know Mm -hmm. but since the inhumans are kind of the 616 replacement for mutants and they are a better replacement don't at me (laughs) for the mcu uh Mm -hmm. let me say for the mcu (laughs) since i'm gonna get added i wanted to make sure everybody was adding me for the right reasons (laughs) So the high evolutionary is a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. An actual Cree is a possibility. A refugee from the like inhuman royal family, but a lesser member is a possibility. But I really, I just don't, I just don't think I have enough to go you on. You don't have a lot of information to go on at this point, but um, but you definitely hit on a lot of correct things uh, in your rambling okay. there. Yeah, you, okay. you hit on some my some rambling. Stuff well, okay, not ramble, but I mean, you know, like you're you're talking about stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no, I got no, no, no. It's a lot of this is this is kind of the interesting thing that like with the movies, I am usually much better about pinning down what they're doing because the movies kind of get to move in these broad strokes. So I can right. be like, 
well, this is the 10-year story that I bet they boil down to two and a half hours. And based mm-hmm. on the fact that this person is in the uh, trailer, I bet they include this bit from this other thing that was separated in time by decades. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I can kind of figure that out. But when they're doing this uh, tease it out secret squirrel bullshit that I, by the way, don't necessarily <laughs> love, uh, yes. we'll get to that conversation. <laughs> it's harder. Uh-huh. Yeah. I- I'm pretty sure that the writing, the alphabet that everybody is writing and that shows up on the obelisk is Cree. Mm-hmm. I don't recall Cree writing in the comics off the top of my head, but it looks mm-hmm. vaguely Kryptonian. Yes. And mm-hmm. since Kryptonians are the assholes of space in the DC universe and Cree are largely the like lesser Marvel Kryptonians, mm-hmm. so they are also the assholes of space in the MCU. <laughs> and we've seen Ronan, who is definitely an asshole, right? Yes. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. so I'm putting all that together to go, I bet that's Cree. But how does that shake out? Does it shake out into right. actual Cree genetics or in human? I don't know. But I'm really interested, actually. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with that because that's such a rarely mined piece of the regular 616. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. We've never gotten like a like a really proper Fantastic Four movie, mm-hmm. which is where that stuff usually comes out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to find out. And I'm excited to see which one of my rambling theories turns out to be most correct. <laughs> Well, you've actually hit on a lot of it. I mean, the only thing you didn't get is his actual identity. He is based on an actual character that is in the MCU, but he's not like a big major thing as far as I can tell. Because, of course, my research is looking it up on Wikipedia. I didn't read all this stuff. I do not know it nearly as well as you do. But I don't think that you have enough information. But what you've gone on, the the associations that you've made, especially about the Kree. And, I mean, you know, it's not terribly spoilery. We saw half a Kree body last year. We saw that. That's what what um, Sky was injected with, you know, that saved her life. So, you know, it's it's not I don't think it's too spoilery to say that you're pretty much dead on with the, the relationship between the Kree and the Inhumans. And yes, that writing is Kree. Have they said his name at this point? No. Like his his given name? OK, OK. No, no they haven't said anything. Because because right now, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed to say this. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, but you can make fun of me in a minute. I'm a little embarrassed to say I can't tell you the high evolutionary's name off the top yeah. of my head. Just as mm-hmm. a as a for instance. So I, I was wondering, they could have said his name and it just didn't. Yeah, honestly, they didn't say his name. I don't think that the character is called the high evolutionary. Wait, you know what? Let me look it up. No, that's not it. Okay, that's we'll see. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll see when they eventually say his real name or whatever the realest name they're going to use is if yes. it if it clicks with me but yeah well listen my radar are up i knew that you would be asking so uh, uh, no i think it's it's really interesting i was just curious if you could pull that out all right so my last question and this will not be spoilery at all this is just an association with a background character uh the character of mac is actually based on a comic book character and i am wondering if you can guess which one Wow. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty deep cut in there. I mean, it's not a huge I, I got to be honest. No. No, mm-hmm. not at all. I mean, I could – I want to start guessing – I want to guess, like, the only one I could think of is Forge, but he's an X-Men guy and also Native American, so I doubt that they would do mm-hmm. that. I mean, mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not – I don't know. Please elucidate. 
All right. Well, I will tell you, and this is fun because now I kind of get to play your role. But again, this comes from no expertise actually earned. This is Wikipedia. So if it's wrong, (laughs) I also don't know it's wrong. Um, He is based on a character named Al McKenzie who first appeared in Nick Fury versus the Shield number three in 1988. Um, The character of Al McKenzie was born in Austin, Texas. He was once the CIA liaison to Shield. Uh, He became romantically involved with Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Um, oh, shit. After a while. I don't know if you know her, but that's a great name. Um, yeah, which that's led Nick to... Fury's big love interest. Oh, so that's why it led to an estrangement between him and Nick Fury, which is the next line in Wikipedia. <laughs> So he returned to the, apparently he got the Contessa, he returned to the CIA, um, and then later joined S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, full-time and spent considerable time as the senior liaison officer to the CIA. Um, So he's shown up in a bunch of things, um, but he's kind of a background character. He is definitely S.H.I.E.L.D. adjacent. Uh, But they pulled him in to play Mac, and I think, although we call him Mac, and I don't know, I think his name is Alfred. I think, <laughs> or Alphonse, okay. maybe. But he's he's his last name is Mackenzie, and they call him Mac throughout the the show, Ages of Shield. So, um, no, so that's there you go. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I feel like okay for real. Anybody who might listen to this podcast that is a huge Nick Fury fan may outdo me a lot because, like I said, I missed John Garrett. You mm-hmm. know. Well, again, um, though, John Garrett is such a... Right, you know, right, yeah. And so same kind of with, you know, Mac or McKenzie, and it's like, sure. oh, I mean, he... I, I mean, I have... How many Macs must there be throughout all of the... <laughs> I can name or whatever, I can yeah. name at least one other one off the top of my head. Mac mm-hmm. Gargan, a.k.a. the Scorpion, a.k.a. Venom 2. So, uh-huh. I mean, see, right? Like, anyway. Um, yes. So, yeah, anybody who is just really serious about the Nick Fury end of the pool. I've read a lot of that stuff. I think I've read mm-hmm. all of Nick Fury's pre-2000s appearances, and I've read a bunch of the post-2000 appearances, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah. uh, I'm not going to say I've got all of that on lock. That is awesome. And as soon as you said <laughs> a love interest of the Contessa, I was like, well, that shit's going to blow up. <laughs> See, you knew. I saw that name and it meant nothing to me, but I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> no, she's great. She she's uh-huh. very much like the uh, the sort of um, I mentioned the British Avengers show yes. mm-hmm. uh, that I love as a spy fi show, mm-hmm. and um, like the main character is ostensibly the man, you know, uh, uh-huh. but mm-hmm. Mrs. Emma Peel steals the show, you know, yeah, um, and that's mm-hmm. Diana Rigg who has been a wife of. Um, James Bond and mm-hmm. is most recently an amazing old lady on Game of Thrones. So Oh right, yes. No, she's fantastic. Uh mm-hmm. so I mean, like the idea that that they would give Nick Fury his own Mrs. Peel, sorta, mm-hmm. um, is is yeah, I mean, should not be surprising. But yeah, the fact that anyone else was able to kind of get in that relationship in the eighties is a, it, it was very fraught. It was a fraught time to be Nick Fury. I imagine it must have been. His brother's trying to kill him. He's got Max stealing his girl. I mean, it's tough. <laughs> Very good. I love all of that. That's fantastic. You may well, get to do fun. that to me a lot. Uh, that could be fun. 
with names of just rando shield people. So, yeah. Well, yeah, with Aegis of Shield, we'll see what we can pull out. But it's going to be, it's really hard for me not to spoil it all. So, we're going to stop talking about what may happen in the future. <laughs> and we're going to move on to the episode summaries for what we are doing today. In Shadows, Phil Coulson takes over as director of the Shadow Shield and hires a team of mercenaries to help him track down a mysterious and dangerous 084. Coulson is keeping Ward in a basement prison cell for information, but he will only talk to Skye. Fitz tries to deal with the aftermath of the brain injury he sustained after Ward tried to kill him and Simmons, and Simmons has left the team. Shadows was written by Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron and directed by Vincent Massiano. In Heavy is the Head, Hunter gets captured by Talbot and receives a tempting offer to betray Coulson. Creel is infected by the obelisk, and the team breaks into Talbot's vault to get it back from the government. In the end, Raina gets it and brings it to Skye's dad, who understands what it is. Coulson is compulsively carving symbols into the wall, but he doesn't know what they mean. Heavy is the Head was written by Paul Zibzewski and directed by Jesse Bochko. In Making Friends and Influencing People, we discover that Simmons is undercover with Hydra and reporting to Coulson. She tries to help Hydra get Donnie Gill, the ice kid from last season. She fails, but saves Bakshi's life, earning a little bit of trust. Fitz finds Ward in the basement and almost kills him, trying to get even for what Ward did to him. Skye has her first kill when she shoots Donnie Gill, but has trouble keeping her cool when Ward tells her he knows where her father is. Making Friends and Influencing People was written by Monica Awusu-Breen and directed by Bobby Roth. In Face My Enemy, Coulson and May go undercover to retrieve a painting with writing similar to what Coulson's been drawing. But after their cover is blown, Agent 33 and Bakshi use high-tech face crafting that allows Agent 33 to infiltrate the team, looking like May. She sabotages the plane to blow up while she delivers Coulson to Bakshi under the guise of meeting with General Talbot. Fitz helps Mac and Hunter save the plane and finally feels like part of the team again. And May refuses to shoot Coulson in the head if things go wrong, but he orders her to do it anyway. And Whitehall finds Reyna and commands her to bring him the obelisk. Face My Enemy was written by Drew Z. Greenberg and directed by Kevin Tancherone. All right, Joshua, there is so much... Great stuff happening here. Season two, episodes one to four. But I kind of want to get just like your general response to the beginning of season two. Are you in? Yeah, man. This is what this show should have been forever ago. Damn. (laughs) It's fun, isn't it? Well, yes. I I mean, because they're actually doing things and we know what they're doing and largely why. Now, here is yeah. here is the first of many times that I will say, except for the secret squirrel bullshit that they're keeping from the viewer, which is not good. Right. It's not good. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not like I really like not knowing what's going on with Reyna and and uh, Sky's dad. And I really like not mm-hmm. knowing all of Hydra's plans. But the whole like, oh, let's check Sky's heart rate. Fuck you guys. Just come on. <laughs> You literally finally make her interesting and you're going to hide the interesting bit from me. You're dumb. That's a bad choice. That is a bad choice. Okay. So that is like, I think my only big negative thing to say, like overall, I'm, 
I'm way in. I, I like this it's stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah. I love it so much. And, you know, because every week we're watching a chunk of it. There's so much to cover, and they're moving through the, the plot fairly quickly, but it's still 22 episodes, so it takes a little while to kind of get going. Um, so watching it, you know, binging it in a in a week doing the, the episodes for this, like at the end when I'm done with the episodes we're slated to watch for a week, I don't want to stop. And I have seen this seriously, like a lot of times. This is almost getting to Buffy level for me like I have watched this series a lot and I still enjoy it um, but of course one of the things that I love the most was seeing Peggy Carter again okay yes let's say this about Peggy I am I just got done saying how much I am invested in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now nevertheless mm-hmm. when I think about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I have seen now and realize that they yes. get whatever six or seven hundred seasons and Peggy got two <laughs> I weep I weep for the future it's not Right. I know. We should get more Peggy Carter. And I keep hoping that maybe somehow they'll resurrect it. They'll bring Peggy Carter back for, you know, the new Disney streaming service or whatever nonsense it is that they're doing, canceling all the Netflix shows and shifting things around. I think they're going to be moving everything over to Disney streaming and that's why everything's going down now. But um, but maybe maybe Agent Carter can come back as part of that. So because I hold hope, you know, for uh, for Agent Carter. Um, I'm, I'm not too bitter about it. Although I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so much that I can't be bitter about how much we get of that. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's going to continue yeah. to improve for me. Like, I'm sure of it now, yeah. you know. But yeah. just, you know, I came off of season one where I'm a little shaky. And literally the mm-hmm. first scene is Peggy and the Howling Commandos. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you people? How dare the you? The Howling Commandos reminding <laughs> me how much I love them. What's the German word for nuts? I don't know, Jim, but tie a blasting cap to him and I bet we'll hear it. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love these guys. I, you know, the only reason that I wouldn't also like to have a Howling Commando show is because yeah. I kind of think we've probably made Nazis into cartoon villains enough. You know, right? And and but but I mean, I really want these guys running around. I just mm-hmm. don't know what they would be doing other than shooting Nazis. And it, it's you know, we need to stop making them quite I such want a caricature. Them put right? in a but, cryogenic chamber and brought into the modern day and made part of Shield. Okay, hold on. So Bucky <laughs> Barnes becomes Captain America, and Captain yeah. America. What are we up to? Four is Captain America colon the Howling Commandos done. Oh, I would. I would. <laughs> I love it. It's a license to print money, people. Come on, Marvel, hire me. I okay. know. Bring them, bring them on. The Howling Commandos are great. It was fun to see Peggy Carter. And, you know, I mean, we open up with this, you know, prologue of something that happened, you know, 60 years ago or whatever. Um, but I don't mind it because we end up doing the bookend with Whitehall at the end. We see Whitehall 60 years ago and we see yes. Whitehall now, you know. Um, so we've got that sense that, that something's weird with Whitehall because, dude, has either aged really well or not at all. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's kind of interesting. And and while it's not at all like strictly necessary, it's a really cool continuity moment to realize that the reason 084s are called 084s is because the first thing that they couldn't easily identify happened to be the 84th thing that they took from Hydra. Yes. <laughs> that's nice. I remember how the X-Files became the X-Files, right? And I uh-huh. like that bit. I like that bit where it's yeah. um it's become this this almost mythological importance to the present day, but in the you know, way back in the day it was like, nah, it was just the 84th one we found or there's a lot of room in X, you know. Like right. 
I really, it's cool. It's very cool. Yeah, no, I really like that. And I like that little bit. And that's one of the nice things. Like the reason why I wanted to do, you know, this podcast about the MCU is because of that expansive narrative universe. And one of the things that's nice about having all of that like background built is you can just pull in these little details that sort of make the world feel deliberate you know, yes, um, and maybe yes. like, oh, wait, four was random, but it's deliberately built from the narrative point of view. And um, and I love that these little things get pulled in whenever you do your four color facts. The idea that something that that to me appeared as just like a random new character, like, say, Lance Hunter or, you know, Isabel Hartley. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they actually do have a history and a space. And then that's why, you know, Hunter is British and like all of the stuff that they pull in. So I thought that that was really cool. I liked that a lot. And I I didn't mind the prologue because it had a purpose. It was showing us something relevant to what's happening now. Um, not to mention the fact that they are, you know, looking for that specific 084 and that that's important. Um, and it's related to Whitehall. So I think all this stuff is really great. But speaking of that deep, deep narrative background, um, we've got our our happy team of mercs, right, <laughs> that we've brought yes. in to fill out the ranks of the disintegrating, you know, shield um, central. So, uh, so let's start with Hunter, right? I really like Hunter. I have always liked Hunter. I've, you know, there've been some people that I know who've had like really negative responses to him. Um, but overall, I think he's pretty great. What did you think about Hunter? I, I like him a lot. Um, yeah. Looking at these four episodes as a, like as a piece, which may or may not be fair to the show as a whole, but you know, the four episodes right, that right. I have in front of me, um, I liked how he was mm -hmm. literally a mercenary, you know? Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, they only left that ambiguity for a certain amount of time. And I, like, yes, there is, there is a space. And I think sky filled it in the first season for way too long where we're not sure if he's part of the team or not. I don't have that concern mm -hmm. about Hunter now. You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. he he was a big question mark for a couple of episodes, which is just right. And now I'm like, mm -hmm. no, I'm I'm not you know, I'm not looking for him to turn traitor on them or something like that. You know, right. I don't want to I don't want to worry about him, you know, especially because like I'm I, like at the beginning, he's there for a couple of episodes. You're not really that invested in him. He's fun. He's got a lot of personality. I really like him. Um, but there's not that much investment. So the idea of like, oh, my God, is he going to be a traitor? Is he going to turn on Coulson? You know, I love that he comes back and he's like, yep, they offered me a lot of money. <laughs> you know, here's what I need. Uh, you know, I can still turn you in. I really thought about it. You know, and he's being honest and straightforward mm -hmm. and I actually really like like that about Lance he kind of fills this um this space that we see in in a lot of Whedon shows that I've always really liked which is like this truth teller archetype like the person who will always speak the truth does not care you know if people are upset about it or whatever yeah. he's a little more tactful I think or a little more aware of other people's responses to him than the typical truth teller that we get in in a lot of Whedon shows um but I actually like that he fills that role in a way that still has a, a tremendous amount of empathy you know when he's yeah, sitting yeah. in the room with Skye in, in Isabel Hartley's room you know and gathering her stuff and he's talking about you know her mom had died and then her sister got breast cancer and then of course you know Isabel was killed and uh, and he He's like, yeah, life can be a mean drunk that way. It doesn't know when to stop punching, you know? And um, and I just, I kind of liked that he has this ability to be empathetic, to connect with people, and yet still be completely straightforward. Like, he's not playing games with anybody, you know? Um, and I really, like, I liked all of that. And then at the end of that episode, when Coulson says, yeah, I need you to turn me into Talbot, 
you know? Yeah. Um, it was kind of a nice turn on that. It was a nice, and I like the way that he went to the funeral and found Hunter right after Hunter puts the, um, puts the necklace in the sister's car, like breaks into her car illegally with some kind of app. Right. And then, <laughs> and then puts the thing around her rearview mirror and then just shuts the door. Like it was such a nice, moment i think for him and for humanizing him and then colson comes in and is like yeah you're a mercenary you're here for the money but you know i want you on my team i want to know that there are people that i can trust you know people that i can trust to do the the wrong thing for the right reasons which i thought was really an interesting thing like kind of this textual acknowledgement that sometimes they do the wrong things but they do it for the right reasons which is Mm -hmm. something we didn't really get last year we thought they thought that they were right (laughs) you know yeah Um, yeah so I liked that. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed Lance Hunter. I think that car scene is really important to informing Colson's line. Um, yeah. Because dealing with Colson from season one, him saying that is a thing that gives me pause. But the mm-hmm. fact that he's saying it about Hunter, who just broke a couple of laws and certainly some, you know, had some bad manners, but did so right. in order to give this memento. You know, that yes. that could not be passed on in any other way, you know. So exactly. We go right from him doing some things, some wrong things for the right reasons to Colson saying that. And I'm like, OK, he's saying it to the person that makes me not have to worry about that. Exactly. Which is exactly. good. And I after think the first really season good. where I worried all the time that they were the bad it guys. Was- <laughs> It was a little shaky in the first season, but I think we're getting a lot more clarity now. Um, then we have this wonderful character of Mac, who I absolutely adore and is one of my favorite characters in the whole run of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so you, you didn't get to see that much of Mac in these four episodes, but I think you got the basics. What did you think of Mac? I like Mac a lot. I like him a mm-hmm. lot. They reveal him before we figure out what's going on with Fitz. And so yes. I, I, because again, I'm, this is my first time to watch them, but I'm also close watching them for yes. these episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and I was right away like, what do we need this guy for? You know, like uh-huh. I didn't dislike him, but I was just like, what is your purpose here, guy? And they, they not mm-hmm. only established him, but then established that he is like the poor man's Fitzsimmons. Like he, he's not as adept as them. He's he's mm-hmm. as enthusiastic, but he's not as good at the job. And I was like, what is your job on this show? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we figure out what's going on with Fitz, I was like, oh, I love this. I love you. You're great. Um, yeah. And we are now done with the kind of super boring and kind of gross alpha male bullshit that we had with ward and to a certain extent colson in season one yes yeah Mm -hmm. i mean we're done with it because even mac the you know um because this is the thing i'll just say i i don't know if i'm jumping around your your stuff but the thing i loved about mac is that he is just subverting all this toxic masculinity without ever saying anything about it you know Um, absolutely Mm -hmm. he is a big african-american man which does not bother me, but is apparently a problem in the larger world, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a deep voice. Like, he's a very, like, overtly masculine guy, but he yeah. is in the STEM. He is not running out into the field shooting people or punching people. And then he just becomes the best big brother to Fitz. Yeah. It's so yeah. great. It's no, so I great. I love that. 
he is incredibly masculine. He has, he's a big guy. He's strong. Like he works with cars. Like you can't be more masculine than Mac. And yet they allow him to be emotionally connected. Yes. Completely empathetic. In a similar way, like Lance had that too. And I really like that, that our male characters are not expected just to be there to beat shit up. Like they can be emotionally connected. And the relationship between Mac and Fitz, like masculine relationship and community is something Something that we we usually and and typically culturally have infused with that toxic masculinity. It has to be about who's the strongest, who's the alpha, who beats the hell out of everybody, who sleeps with the most girls, like that kind of thing, right? But here we have this lovely relationship with him and Fitz, and I love the fact that Mac, like everybody else, is feeling so like tiptoey around Fitz, and they're you know really tense and worried, and he's just completely straightforward with him. And they have that relationship and it's so wonderful and it's so caring and it is completely masculine the whole time. You do not sacrifice masculinity for emotional connection. Yes. And having stories like that of true masculine community in our storytelling creates a space where men are allowed to have emotions. Men are allowed to feel things and, you know, and be empathetic without it detracting at all from their masculinity. I love his capability. I love the fact that he can, you know, and when he's talking to Fitz about it, he's like, well, I don't know it the way that you know it. I need the, I need the sheet music, you know, but he knows what he's doing. He knows what Fitz is talking about. And he's somebody that Fitz can actually connect with now that Simmons is gone, you know? So he opens up the, this safe, wonderful, loving, masculine space for Fitz that I absolutely love. And one of the things, too, this is a small thing. You wouldn't have caught it because it, it has to do with the run of the series. But um, but Mac tends to, when he when he has a deep affection for somebody, tends to give them nicknames, right? Okay, And yeah. so he calls Fitz Turbo. And that's one of the things he's going to call him Turbo <laughs> through the rest of the series. It is adorable. It is lovely. All of his nicknames are are truly affectionate. They're not like nicknames that are meant to like shut people down. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're truly affectionate. Just this this sign, and he doesn't nickname everybody. Just the people that he feels strongly about. You know, yeah. And um, so I I love Mac is in my heart because of everything that happens throughout. So to to come back and be reintroduced to him is such a delight for me, and I'm I'm so glad that you liked him too. Yeah, I okay, this is not going to be the bag on first season show forever. Okay, <laughs> but just for contrasting purposes, I was so meh about 80% of the team in the first season, yeah. and this is 80% a brand new team, you know, really. Yeah. And and I am just instantly invested in them. And so that's why again, I this is the kind of thing where if I say this is what I would have liked to have had in the first season. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about too. It's not yeah, just, it's I so like fantastic. these characters better, but they hook me immediately. You know, they do. They do. They're so wonderful. And I just, I absolutely love them. Okay. So we've got uh, two characters that we've lost immediately. One of them being Isabel Hartley played by Lucy Lawless. And you know, there's a there's a line from The Good Place where one of the characters who's a demon um, is talking and about all the things that she can do to like torment people. And then she's like, I'm a Ferrari. You don't get a Ferrari and keep it in the garage, right? Yes. <laughs> and, like, and that is exactly what I'm thinking about when I look at Lucy Lawless, your Ferrari that you have in this episode. And I get she's busy. She's probably got a lot of other work that she's doing. Maybe she was only available for a little bit and they were like, well, let's get you. But, 
better a little Lucy Lawless than no Lucy Lawless at all. Um, so I will definitely go with that. Um, but yeah, here and gone like that. I mean, boom, dead in the first episode. And it was kind of disappointing because I liked her. She would have been just a really amazing addition to this show, mm-hmm. I think. Just yeah, yeah. to be another extremely competent and badass woman, but in such a uh, different way from May, which, I mean, they mm-hmm. don't have to be in competition, but just for contrast. Like, what what has that yeah. looked like up till now? And it's been like, um, you know, super stoic, no emotional involvement, mm-hmm. you, you know, very like hard, crusty exterior versus with Hartley. Yeah. I was like, that woman's heart is on her sleeve. <laughs> And yes, and she will use it to beat you to death. Like, I mean, if that's Absolutely. what it takes, you know, and it would have right. been I just really would have liked to have seen those two agents on Colson's shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly they have a different plan and it's fine. But Lucy Lawless is such a damn treasure that I was just like, you bastards, just what are <laughs> right. you what are you doing to me? Get me all excited about Lucy Lawless being on my show and then kill her off, whatever. But she was great while she was there. So, I mean, that was really fun and nice. And then we had our our fourth guy, our classic red shirt. He drove the car (laughs) and then he died. And that's it. Yeah. You know? Really? So that... That was Idaho. I don't even. I don't even know if the man had a line. You know, I mean, he was just. <laughs> so in the I notes, bad for him. In the notes, you have, "Oh, Idaho, we hardly knew ye," and I'm like, "Oh, Idaho, <laughs> we hardly cared." I mean, exactly. There was nothing for that guy to do, and I feel bad because he really got the short shrift out of these characters. He really, he got, uh, he he got suckered. But anyway, so um, so I'm glad that we have um, Hunter and Mac. I'm really pleased with those additions. I was sorry to see Lucy Lawless go, but I mean, the fact is to add four new characters you know, at the beginning and have three of them be ones that we care about and two of them we get to keep. So, I mean, that's kind of nice. No, it's true. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, again, why, why, everybody drink. This is what they should have done in the first place. I mean, make me care about people. Okay, I'm probably done with that. I'm probably done with that. All right. All right, let's let it go. Let's talk about the people we cared about in the first season that we continue to care about in the second season. Yes. Fits, right? I yes. mean, Fitz, oh my God, this whole thing with Fitz, this whole run with Fitz and Faux Simmons and um, everything that he's going through. And for somebody who is, you know, so invested in his brain and, and I mean, to take that away from him is just the biggest gut punch. And it's so wonderful. And I love, I mean, I love what we do with Fitz all the way through the run. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the big things I always tell people in writing is that the best thing you can do is torture your characters and they know how to do that with Fitz and yeah. he is so good Ian DeCasker is so amazing at getting those emotional beats across I mean my god when he goes down into the basement and sees Ward um, his response is so emotionally present you know and so devastating and then when he can't have the word he can't find the word for epoxia so he's like well maybe I should show you and he just takes the oxygen out oh, of Ward's yeah. cell Whew. I mean, we're showing that relationship between trauma and darkness, you know, and I mean, Fitz, who from last season was all about the monkeys and all about the positivity and, you know, all about, oh, nobody's going to, you know, this person can't have betrayed us. And he felt everything so deeply, you know, and then to to have him here, you know, like 
trying to kill Ward, like really playing with it, letting Ward suffer. You should know how this feels. Your brain function stops after three minutes, permanent brain damage, you know, and he goes through all of this stuff. And it is it is so great. And then ends up with Coulson and says, I'm not a killer, you know, which I found kind of interesting because that's kind of a line. I mean, that was something obviously we dealt with a lot in Daredevil with yeah. Matt Murdock, like putting that line down. I'm not a killer. I'm not a killer. And whenever anybody says I'm not a killer, like that person is going to have to kill somebody eventually. <laughs> like we're going to have to bring them to that point. I'm not spoiling anything. I'm just saying that whenever I hear that from a character, I'm like, okay, now I know where we're going with this character. So um, I loved seeing his dark side. The the fake Simmons that he had with him, you know, um, kind of keeping him as connected as he could be, you know, to the rest of the team until finally at the end of the fourth episode, he works with them. He's able to work with them to save the plane so that they don't all blow up. And then they have a beer and he tells them so openly, I mean, vulnerability, like the things that hurt us are the things we don't talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and and what happened with Simmons was clearly, you know, a very deep, hurtful experience for uh, for Fitz and then for him to be able to talk about it with these guys and have this masculine gut again i love masculine community we get so little of it so little emotionally connected masculine community these three guys having a beer all of them completely masculine and yet being empathetic and being emotionally connected it is like one of the freshest breaths of air you know for me narratively we don't see nearly enough of that i love seeing that in the storytelling i thought it was just fantastic what did you think about all the fit stuff Okay, I like all of it. Um, mm-hmm. So I liked Fitz okay in the first season. I mean, um, I think <laughs> that them working so hard to have us like him worked against him yes. a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but here to have such a, I don't know, half heel turn, you know, like he just becomes yeah. kind of an asshole, which I get. Like, it's no shade. I understand it. But, I mean, you say... Yeah. That Foe Simmons is there keeping him as connected as possible. And I would actually say the opposite. I think Foe Simmons is there so that he doesn't have to deal with anybody else. Oh, well, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think what I meant is that she is the only connection for him. She is the only thing like he's the only thing keeping him from being or feeling completely alone. But yeah, no, you're absolutely yeah, right. He, she's he a construct. Connecting I mean, yeah. with her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's also his best nature, probably, because... She helps him with the words and she specifically, I mean, in as much as she's a separate character, she's the one who recognizes that Mac is treating him differently and starts to try and be like, no, talk to him. (laughs) Seriously. I'm an unhealthy Mm -hmm. fixation, says the unhealthy fixation. Is um, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, that's a lot of subtle character building for Fitz that is going to allow me to buy into his eventual rehabilitation much easier mm-hmm. because it's like all the pieces yes. are there, but they're jumbled up, but they are showing me right. that also the better parts of his nature are still there. They're just all jumbled up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they meant to do that, but for me, I'm going, well, obviously Fitz is going to come out of the other end of this more or less, you know, in as intact as you get to be in this kind of show, you know? Uh, right, exactly. But, but at the same time, that's not going to be out of nowhere. Like they're showing me all that mm-hmm. stuff is still there. So, 
Um, yeah, no, and I think it's it's really nice too because we're able to be with Fitz. Fitz is isolated; he's not talking to anybody, you know. So I mean, it would be really hard for us to get that. And this is something where a lesser show would have him doing voiceover or you know, like show him writing and whatever. Like, yeah. But he's talking to her, and it also keeps that desperate connection. Like he loves her, and she left. Like right? he was suffering, and he's just and he not dealing with it. Yeah, she left. You know, like, I mean, that is a huge betrayal. And we've seen how Fitz deals with betrayal. It's really hard for him. You <laughs> it's know? not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and we also see that, like, you know, at the end when Coulson says, well, you know, she's on an assignment. And he says, well, did she ask to go on the assignment or did she, you know, or did you just assign her? And Coulson avoids telling him, which obviously means she asked to go. But, like, the fact that that Simmons didn't talk to him about it completely, like, just left like that is got to be so hard for him. And so I love the the complexity of that. And I loved the fact that they they played that in the first episode. You think it's Simmons unless you realize nobody ever speaks directly to Simmons, uh-huh. you know? Like yes. nobody acknowledges her when they're in a room, you know, um, all that stuff. And that's one of the great things about a good, you know, uh, like misdirect. Well, it's not a misdirect because it's but like, you know, where we have this experience. But if you go back and watch it, knowing that she's not really there, it all still plays exactly right. You know, we are never misled. They don't lie to us. They don't you know, they're playing completely fair. And I love that kind of turn. Yeah, definitely. It's it's so I mean, I probably love it unreasonably because we mm-hmm. see so many crappy misdirects so often that to see exactly. one actually done well, I'm just like, well, clearly you're master storytellers, you know, Exactly. because you did well, this yeah, thing that everybody else screws yeah. up, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, no, all this stuff like I, yeah, again with Mac there and I was like, what's everybody's role? And then um, the, the thing for me where i where i didn't realize that simmons was not really there but fitz was still being this dick i was like mm-hmm. i don't like this like i i mean i know he's not wells but but i was like this is yeah. uncomfortable to watch because he wasn't super nice to foe simmons either all the time you know no and no. so when i thought that was the real simmons i was like oh this is gonna get gross like i'm gonna get real i i, I get it it's in character i don't hate it we're yeah. dealing with this trauma, but I was like, I am not going to like the parts where he's mean to Simmons because I know, you know, I it's know. not the same but as, I mean, as yeah. a man being mean to a woman he doesn't know. I mean, that's not great either. But in this case, I was just like, oh, I'm right. not OK with that. That's going to be hard to watch. So mm-hmm. they did a great job. Yeah, but I mean, but he also like when he's mean to her, you know, she like, first of all, she's a construct, so he doesn't have to worry about hurting her feelings, but also like he needs to express that he's obviously really hurt and angry that she just left him. Yes. You know, I mean, which has got to be so hard for him. So I love everything about the way they pulled that off. I love everything about it. And then, and then, you know, we see actual Simmons, undercover, you know, which is so freaking great. I love this. Yeah. That's considering how badly she's been at being undercover. I know. Was she shot? What's his face? Wait, the guy. What's his name? The guy you hated. <laughs> Why can I not? Because he's dead and we don't have to care anymore. That's why I we can't, can't remember, remember his name. name. But this guy. Sitwell. You... Sitwell. She shoots Sitwell. 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 She's yeah. screaming about all your prostitutes. <laughs> I mean, she's just aggressively poor. 
at being undercover. Aggressively bad. I know. <laughs> and then here she is in the middle of freaking Hydra, you know, like reporting into Coulson. It's so great. I love we open up. She's got new hair. So we, you know, can see old Simmons and new Simmons, right? Through faux Simmons and, and the actual Simmons. Um, and then, you know, I love the opening that they did, which reminds me a lot of that opening from that episode of Lost where we're first introduced to Desmond. You know, they've got the the old style music, even though the, the song itself is not an old song, but it kind of like references 50s aesthetics. And in, in yeah, I had a real um, and- Mary Tyler Moore feel. Yeah, no, it was so fantastic. And then, you know, we've got the lyrics of that, which is God help the girl. She needs all the help she can get. (laughs) Right. Um, Which if, you know, with with Simmons undercover, hell yeah. You know, but I mean, she wakes up, she does her morning routine. You know, we've got this music playing. She's going in and then we get this turn where we see the Hydra logo on the wall. It is such a great, great um, segment. I absolutely love that whole thing. Um, And we have this whole episode, you know, with her her trying to deal with being undercover and she's doing really really well so I mean like we're we've been addressing you know Fitz's trauma and Fitz's PTSD and everything that he's been through but you know Simmons went through that too you know I mean she went through like this huge traumatic experience and then saved Fitz and then you know had to deal with everything on her own and I think that that changes you too and I think that that made her into someone who could go undercover although she still had trouble lying and Coulson was like well just tell as much of the truth as possible she doesn't want to do the thing that Ward did which is make friends with people that you are going to betray well that's the hard part about Um, being undercover right like that's the um Mm -hmm. is that you might but if you and this is a this is a real thing for people who have real feelings is if you pretend right. to care about somebody it will not take very long and you will actually care about them you know like yes. the the pretending mm-hmm. is is the thing uh if you have actual human feelings and mm-hmm. boy if whatever else Simmons has she's got actual human feelings so um, yeah, I like that she's protecting herself in that way where she's just like, I can't be that kind of I can't do it. I mean, it's it's both for the other people, but I think also for her. Mm-hmm. She's like, if I become that person, oh, yeah. I won't like it. I won't like that person. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And I and also that she, you know, I mean, just because they work for Hydra, like especially the lower level people, like they may not necessarily be that bad. They just they were working for S.H.I.E.L.D. And then Hydra was like, well, we'll keep paying you. And they're like, all right, you know, whatever. Right. I just I need that 401k. I need that health care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can go to Gitmo or I can take a cushy right. Hydra gig. Okay. Or get shot in the head. Right. Exactly. You know, like whatever. I mean, it's creepy and weird, but you do what you got to do to get through the day. Um, but I loved that. I love that we're stretching her character, that we're, we're arcing her, we're pushing her into a new space. Um, and that was just really, really fun. And then, of course, when everybody discovers that that's where Simmons is, that she's under deep cover at Hydra um, in that episode, I thought that that was really nice. And then the way that, you know, that um, Sky you know, shot a little bit off, gave Simmons the warning she could save Bakshi and get their trust, you know, um, or at least as much trust as I think as Bakshi ever gives, right? Um, but uh, but there was also that creepy moment, too, at the end with Bakshi and Whitehall, where he's like, you know, we'll bring her in. Um, and if she if she isn't okay, then we will make her comply. And we've been seeing, of course, with Agent 33, 
what that brainwashing process is and how brutal it is. Yeah. You know, and then when they just say these words to people, that brainwashing comes in. I mean, it came in over Donnie Gill, you know, who was probably able to resist it, I think, more than most, you know, but you will comply. And then there's that that idea of this brainwashing being something that when it happens, like you can't be responsible for what Hydra makes you do under brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you can't be held responsible for that. So there's there's all of that going on. And it is really like interesting and creepy. And, you know, brainwashing is something, though, like this kind of um, of brainwashing work. I think you were talking about in the four color facts that that comes from that's borrowed from a background there in the comics. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you've got Dr. Faustus himself, who is like mm-hmm. the super villain, you know, mind twister. But I mean, almost everybody who has a decent rogues va- gallery gets one of these, right? Like Spider-Man's got a Mysterio. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a thing where if you can make the person whose clarity of purpose is that strong, if you can give them a different reality, then you mm-hmm. don't actually have to change their clarity of purpose. <laughs> you, yes. You have just changed the situation as far as they're concerned and they will go do the rest of the work. Um, I mean, in yeah. the best, the best Dr. Faust stuff, he does that to Captain America. And then it's like, stand back and let him kill himself and all of our enemies, you know. Oh my God. Subverting, you know, sort of that, like that core personhood is, yeah, it's quite a thing. We'll just, <laughs> Um, I mean, it's because so in the superhero story, especially you and I have talked so much that identity is, you know, it's the core of most of those stories and um, largely in the real world. But one hundred and ten percent in the superhero world, you are what you do, you know. Mm -hmm. So if if your purpose is twisted against you because you're given a different reality or you are led to believe that things are not what they seem and then you do what looks like the right thing. And then you come out mm-hmm. the other end and realize it was not the right thing. Your identity is shaken because your identity is yeah. what you do. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And losing your free will. I mean, that is such a huge thing. Like, you know, because uh, uh, it's funny because we just did something like this over in uh, the Still Dead uh, podcast that I do with Dr. Kelly Jones. We did an episode of Angel in which uh, one of the characters is overtaken by a misogynistic demon yes. that made him do these terrible things. And the question that he said, he's like, I don't know what kind of man I am. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. When it shakes up who you know yourself to be, mm-hmm. like, that messes with your head. And I think that's such a wonderfully crunchy psychological space to be in, um, you know, which kind of leads me into this discussion of our, our creepy villains, right? We've, yes. got, we've got a creepy 3B between these three guys. Um, we've got, of course, uh, the, the character Sky's father with Reyna, right, who, um, who tells her to hold the obelisk that has been killing people. He's completely <laughs> creepy about it. And then at the end, he's like, yeah just let you live and like there's you know there's no confidence i don't think there's any confidence that he was like absolutely sure that it would let reina live like if she died she died like, yeah he didn't care he definitely um, seems like that guy creepiness. yeah there's a real creepiness to that and i have to say kyle mclaughlin like i i've watched a little bit of twin peaks not enough i couldn't get through it i'm not a fan don't at me whatever um and uh, and i've never been a huge fan of kyle mclaughlin i remember him from desperate housewives i wasn't a huge fan of his there I love him in this role, and he is going to get, I think, in my opinion, only more delightful in that role throughout his run. 
Um, he is so wonderful and, and we don't see that much of it yet. So it's a little bit of a, not really a spoiler that he's going to be around because obviously he's going to be around for a little while. Um, but, uh, but that I just like, I find him absolutely wonderful. Now, I don't know. Did you watch Twin Peaks? Were you excited to see Kyle McLaughlin show up? I mean, I watched Twin Peaks when it was on and have not Mm -hmm. really revisited it hard. Um, I will say that as soon as I saw him as the the shadow villain, I guess, you know, kind of not connected to Whitehall, but like the other front. I was yes. like, well, yes. that's perfect. I mean, he really is yes. doing the mad scientist thing. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, which, which the, mm-hmm. the deal with the mad scientist is not necessarily that they're running around cackling. It's that they literally see everybody as an experiment. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the dangerous thing about them is that they're like, I don't know if it'll work. Let's put it in the reservoir. Exactly. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, no, he's killing so that. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's you only saw him for a couple of seconds. Like you haven't even seen him do anything yet. But I just I am I'm so delighted to see Kyle McLaughlin in this role. I think he's fantastic. Uh, we've got Daniel Whitehall, of course, who is creepy AF with those little round glasses and, of course, not aging over all this time. So, I mean, that's creepy and weird. Um, but one of the things, too, is that we have him reference the sound of music when he's tormenting yes. um, Agent 33. Let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. You know, and of course, the sound of music, a movie in which the heroes escape the Nazis. Um, So I found that to be kind of this wonderful little gleeful bit of creep, you know? (laughs) Right. Well, so we talked about with First Avenger that one thing Hydra let the MCU do is not deal Mm -hmm. with actual Nazis. And while while I do want to be careful about turning them into cartoon caricatures, mm-hmm. I really think it's a good idea that if you're going to have them, that they actually be creepy, awful human beings or whatever without mm-hmm. redeeming features, right? Like, just let them be right. full-on villains. I do not want to feel bad for the Nazis. Thank you. No, I don't I don't need a complicated... I like complicated villains in general, but in this context, I like our creepy bad guys. Yes, I like yes. Bakshi. I like Whitehall. Yes. I like Sky's dad. I love that they all have this element of, like, weird creep to them. And so they're developed, you know, like, they're interesting in and of themselves, but they're not, um, but they're not conflicted villains. I love a conflicted villain. I don't think we need one here. Hydra is bad. You cannot be part of Hydra and have any goodness in you. Like, that's just not going to be possible. At the high levels of Hydra, you cannot have it, you know? Um, so, so, and I think that that's fine. Like, there's there's a place for the villain that is all bad. What I don't like is the kind of Ronin treatment where it's like, I want to destroy the world just because I'm right, free or whatever, no reason. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for no real, no real reason, it doesn't make sense. Like, they have reasons for doing what they're doing. They're in search of power, you know, and wealth. And this is the way that they're going to do it. And this is what, how they're going about it. Um, and that's fine. Like, um, but I, I really like the way that they're, um, they're all different kind of creepy in all their own little ways. Yes. Which I think is really fun. Um, and I just, I enjoy all of them. Like, that, that um, brainwashing session with Agent 33 was so 
horrible. Like you watch her and it was so awful. And all I kept thinking is that as a poor actress with her eyes pulled open for this whole thing. <laughs> I hope yeah. that they made that as minimal as they could because that just seems horrible. Um, but uh, but I love all of that. And I love the, you know, taking good people, brainwashing them, and then they have to deal with that. What kind of person am I in the end, you know, if they survive it? Um so I love all of that stuff. And I thought that that was really, really fun. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, we've got our, our holdover bad guy, you know, in the basement, like the the creepy basement ward. <laughs> okay. Um, and here's the thing. I am going to speak about ward here for a minute. And I know that you hate ward, but I got to tell you, I love bad guy ward. He is terrible and hateful. Um, and I mean, like, as a character, I hate him. I hate the fact that he uh, is creepily, like, only willing to talk to Sky. He's putting her in that situation. Um, he's got this whole thing where he's like, someday if you let me, I'll take you to your father, right? Which is which is not that I know where your father is. Let me give you that information so you can go do this. I know where your father is. I'm going to hold that until it forces you to spend time with me. Like, that is such a son of a bitch move. And I love it. I love Brett Dalton as Bad Ward. Um, I love the way that he is so creepily trying to reframe like his role in everything. Like when he was talking to Fitz, he was like, I gave you a fighting chance. I was supposed to put a bullet in your head. Look at me. I'm a hero because I threw you into the sea. Like he's actually making that argument. You know, um, when he's talking to Sky, he says, everything I did, good and bad, I did of my own free will, which I find really interesting because he could have claimed, oh yeah, I was brainwashed. Like he could have tried to make that, but he didn't. But he does say everything I did, good and bad, I did of my own free will. He's laying that space there as though there was anything good that he did it is this creepy terrible sociopathic gaslighting um which is so accurate to that kind of personality like i have seen exactly that shit in action in real life and it is creepy as hell but i love the way they do that with ward i think it's wonderful and i love brett dalton and now you can go ahead and not care about ward all you want i love this guy yes actually i'm going to ask that you stop slandering my good name by suggesting that i hate ward i okay. i nothing ward <laughs> The best part of Ward. Indifference is the opposite of love. Yes. Exactly. And the best part of Ward is when they turn on that white wall where you can't actually see him. That is the best part. <laughs> oh, my God. You... I cannot believe you haven't changed your opinion about Ward at all. You still just don't care? No, look, you're not wrong about everything you say. Like, as far as what mm -hmm. they're doing with him now, I'm like, yes, this is extremely masterful. Too bad you did your job of making me not give a shit too well. <laughs> Oh, my God. But Brett Dalton is so good. Is he in the basement? <laughs> Just put cement down there until it's full and let's walk away and never speak of this again. <laughs> Oh my God, you and I are going to disagree on Ward. I, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll get turned. I, like, I mean, I think he's hateable. Like, I hate, obviously, the person. You know, he's creepy, but it's such an accurate representation of that kind of personality. And I love Brett Dalton is just doing it with this. I mean, being, he's so much better as a bad guy than a good guy. Like, I love him as a bad guy. Lonnie, he's better as a bad guy than a good guy. He was better as a chair than a good guy. The bar is low. <laughs> 
all right, I don't care. I'm going to love up on him. I will make up for how much no, you hate him with how much I love him. You're not wrong. The thing is, you're, that's the worst part. You're not wrong, but it's like they've basically <laughs> given me a black hole of not caring. And now they're mm-hmm. like, no, he's super important. Look, we're doing Silence of the Lambs. And I was like, I like the silence <laughs> part. The silence part is what I like from Ward. That's what I like. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about people that you maybe might like a little bit better. Let's talk a little bit about Coulson. Yeah, he's a How lot better. How did you feel about Coulson? He's a lot yeah. better. I, I, I actually feel, I mean, again, because we have holdover first season Coulson, I was very disquieted when he was like, I want people who do the wrong things for the right reasons. And I was like, oh, I really need you not to say that. But other than that, he is really like striking me as a much better guy. Like, like again, this is this is yeah. the Colson where I I don't feel conflicted about you know what they're doing. Um and yeah. I mean, part of that is that Hydra is just straight bad. So giving your shady people mm-hmm. straight bad guys is a good idea. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. um like uh, so yeah, no no no. It, this is I liked most of Coulson in the first season. I didn't like what thematically was going on with Coulson in the first season. And I think they've mm-hmm. largely done mm-hmm. away with that here. No, but I really like that they held that over from the first season. They didn't just like kind of erase that part of, you know, doing the wrong things for the right reasons. That this is part of the way that Coulson does business. And now that he's part of, you know, the shady, shadowy shield, you know, he's still trying to be the good guy. And he keeps telling Talbot, we're the good guys. We're the good guys. You know, I can help you out. You just got to give me some room. Like, I love that whole thing. Um, And I like the fact that we didn't just sort of gloss over it and pretend that that wasn't part of who he is. But like now he's in his element because he's on the back foot and he has to fight like a scrapper you know so that means that those moral lines can get pushed a little bit more because you're in the deep dirty fight you know um so i love that whole thing um i i love him um you know when he's pretending to be cal talbot um (laughs) through the thing and koenig's there telling him to go bigger and he's doing this whole thing it is so fun. Um, of course, Clark Gregg as Coulson is always delightful. I love this thing where he's like, I don't have a fleet of helicarriers or Quinjets or thousands of agents at my disposal anymore. We're lucky we still have our George Foreman grill. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Which I thought was really fun. Yeah. Um, I will say also, as a fan of spy fiction, that while while I appreciate <laughs> that this is a more heroic version of Coulson, he is also a control for agents. So he's like, nope. Yeah. Uh, our, Hey, boss, our danger just went up 1,000%. I'm really sorry. You still have a mission objective. Go get it done. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and sure, exactly. he might hate that he lost some people, both personally and professionally. Like, I didn't have people to lose, and also I liked those people. But he's still like, mission mm-hmm. accomplished. We did the right thing, which you kind of have to have for the boss of the spy agency. So, yeah. 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 This I mean, is all good. Be, you've got to be objective minded and I think he is you know and they steal that Quinjet and he's like we did what we had to do you know we put some people at risk but we got this Quinjet and that's what we need to be able to do the mission to be able to protect people because that's the job you know um, so I like that he's very much focused on that I also really like there was there was one point where um, he was talking with May and May was like you know it doesn't always have to come down to you just because you're the director you know and she's and he's like yeah it does and I'm with him on that like he is the director it does always have to come down to him everything is on him and he takes that very seriously and i love this whole thing with may where he's like you know you're gonna have to shoot me in the head yes no that's why (laughs) if i get out of control yeah that's why i appreciate him as control like 
he is also mm-hmm. willing to sacrifice himself if he becomes a liability to the mission. It's not just his yes. people. He is also like, no, no, right. at some point I'm going to be a problem and you're going to have to end that problem. I need to exactly. know you're ready to do that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's the reason that I don't just see him as, you know, kind of cold hearted bastard like Fury was. He's also yeah. prepared to put himself mm-hmm. on the line, you know. It's absolutely good. absolutely yeah and i love that whole thing and i love the fact that he immediately knew that may wasn't may speaking of which let's dedicate a little bit of time to agent melinda may who is <laughs> so incredibly kick-ass for the first couple of episodes like we weren't really doing that much with her you know like yeah. she's training sky she's watching over colson all this stuff but then we get her undercover and it is the most delightful May in a sparkly dress. You know, everybody yes. gets freaked out because she's laughing. <laughs> it is. Is she so okay? Adorable. When they're dancing. Oh, my God. I know. I think the worst of it's over now. Right. <laughs> um, when they're dancing and they're talking and they're having this nostalgia conversation while at the same time, you know, scoping out the surroundings and we've got somebody at 10 o'clock and all this. Kind of, I mean, the whole thing was so so fun and i love when she's flirting with that guy to get his picture and the guy goes he's your husband and she goes we're modern yeah (laughs) she's quick she's quick i love her so much in that whole thing and then we get her you know where she's she goes and she finds agent 33 and back she who was pretending to be talbot and then agent 33 puts on the may face you know yes um and we got that whole body swap thing i love all of that, I think it's fantastic. My, I think my favorite part of that whole sequence, though, is when May gets free and she's in her slip, right? You know, yeah. running at Bakshi. And Bakshi looks like he just soiled his pants. Like it is yeah, best. like, gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, that's the smartest <laughs> move. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a mastermind. Oh I have agents for this. Yeah. Deuces. And he leaves yes. because that's what you do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly no it's all it's so great and then when he asked when colson asked her to coffee as agent agent 33 and she's like yeah i'd like that she he punches her in the face yes may doesn't like coffee you talk too much <laughs> i thought it was all so great i loved everything in that sequence um but one of the things though actually that i really like i i think appreciate the most that i didn't realize until you know there was may She's in her slip, right? You know, she's captured by this guy. He is getting ready to torture her. And even in that circumstance, like one of the things that happens when women are in vulnerable positions with men in so many of the shows that I watch is that the first thing we do with that man is we make him sexually predatory. Yes. That there's some comment, there's some reminder. He looks at her breasts. He reminds her that she's a woman and that she is not his equal. And then there's always either an explicit or implicit threat of rape, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Almost always. Um, And this is the thing that I realized about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and part of the reason why I love it so much. Like, these guys can be full-on creepy. They can be full-on terrible. But none of them... And I, I don't know because I haven't watched the whole series with this specific thought in mind, but off the top of my head, having watched it quite a bit, I can't remember an instance where any of them use misogyny or rape threats toward the women in these circumstances. Um, and that 
also along with the the wonderful masculine community is such a breath of fresh air you know um and the thing is is that like we also don't damsel our women like women get in trouble and need to be rescued the same about amount as men and when they do we don't put them in a situation where a man is overpowering her because he's a man you know, he's just right. an opponent. Right. Like, it's yes. not about, there's none of that. No rape threats, no rape, I'm pretty sure, in the run of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and the absence of that feels so wonderful. Like, as a woman watching a show that doesn't engage in that immediately as the knee-jerk go-to, you know, is so wonderful and it feels so great and women are truly part of the team they are actually equals and yes sometimes we have to save them but we also have to save the guys too there also aren't sexist jokes or comments or a lot of male gay stuff i mean here is may she's in that beautiful dress and then she's in that slip and the slip itself is sexy right Mm -hmm. but we're not had she not been wearing that slip that scene would have played out exactly the same way there's no there aren't sexist jokes and comments in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I've, no, I mean, this is my first realization of it, my first conscious, like, understanding that this is something that does not happen in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and what a relief that is. But I like, I'm trying to think about a sexist joke or comment. And I don't, there's lots of jokes. It's funny, but it doesn't resort to that. And I love it. There, I, I've got a lot of reactions to that. It's all positive, but I mm-hmm. mean, You're right, um, at least as much as I've seen, right? And one thing that that tells me is that the creators of the show really care about their characters, even their villains. Yeah. Because their villains have motivations, they have objectives, and they are moving towards those objectives. and, and, And the idea that just because it's a woman that they have at their mercy is not mm-hmm. going to take... I mean, look, Bakshi's a bad guy, so I'm not trying to defend Bakshi. Yeah. But the idea that he is a particular kind of predator and that just because the situation is different, a switch is going to flip and he's yeah. going to become a sexual predator is actually a pretty good right. message for dudes, too. You know? Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. the idea that... Um, I mean, <laughs> he's not a role model, don't get me wrong, but the idea right. that... That just because a woman in her underwear is tied up in front of him, he doesn't immediately become a leering rapist. Um, right. Is really, yeah. But And and again, it's not that we're, we talked about this in terms of lady villains, that we don't mm-hmm. need them to be good people. We just need them to be good characters. And part of that's yes. consistency. You get that mm-hmm. with Bakshi in that moment, too. Like, oh, he's a bad guy, but he's not right. that kind of bad guy. And we're not doing that to make him better. We're doing that because he is specific. He is a exactly a, a living, breathing character as far as we're concerned. Exactly. And I don't have a problem necessarily with showing misogyny or sexism in stories. I think that's fine. Uh, but the thing is, is that we usually show it as a way to, you know, increase this threat to women and a way to separate yes. out the ways in which women are victimized as opposed to men without addressing it in any other way, without it being a theme yes. of yes. the story. It's just something we throw in there because it... It has that element of that, you know, like the threat of rape and the whole, you know, like, and it's something that we just kind of accept as like part of, part of men. All men are going to rape. 
if they get a chance. And I'm sorry, but no. And you know what? And I'm glad to have a space where we're not talking about that. If you're going to have sexist comments and jokes, if you're going to have rape threats, then you have to deal with that whole thing. You have to make what your story yes. is about that whole thing. And we don't do that. We don't pay for it with that. We use it as this almost lascivious you know, kind of thing. And, um, and that's where it becomes women are just being used and objectified in yet one more way, but by the text, you know, as much as by whatever the character is doing in the actual show itself. If you're going to talk about that stuff, you're going to talk about the stuff. And S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't interested in talking about that stuff. So it's not going to go to that space. And I love that. Well, let me, let me say one more, I have one more thought on that topic. That is mm-hmm. a a huge positive for S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's going to involve mm-hmm. me shit-talking another show a little bit. So just be- okay. bear with me. <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did not, on any level, show up with an air quotes feminist agenda, right? Like, it's not baked into the concept. That, right, that, yes. It's not a girl power show, right? Like, for yeah. lack of a better term. It's it's not that. And yet, that is part of the warp and woof of the show. Like, it's just mm-hmm. it's just baked in right from the minute that, that we uh, make Sky very competent and May terrifying and, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. So that is another reason that it's very refreshing that they don't mm-hmm. go to that well. Because they could go to that uh, that sexual violence well and say, but we're not that kind of show, you know. Mm-hmm. And... And to f- the flip of that is the first time of two times that I rage quit Supergirl is mm-hmm. because Supergirl is a show that ostensibly has a baked in girl power feminist agenda. And right. yet they went right to the like very uh, SVU yeah. rape imagery in an episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these people do not know what they're doing. Right. Like they're not paying attention to the details. And here Mm -hmm. on S.H.I.E.L.D. where they don't have to pay attention to the details, they do. And that is awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's it's the difference between performative feminism. Look at us. We've got here. We've got like because they do this whole thing. where like strong female characters. Right. And so they have a character that can kick ass. But she does it like Black Widow. Right. Black Widow is made for the male gaze. Like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah. I like Black Widow and I like a lot of the stuff that they do with her, but it's absolutely like tight leather and her makeup is always done. Her hair's always great. She's always got the lipstick on. She's always looking hot and she's kicking ass, you know, and it's all that kind of stuff. As opposed to the the female character that can be beautiful that can be sexy and yet we're not making it about the male gaze it's part of her empowerment so there's there's demonstrative feminism which runs under the presumption that women are also you know people and then there's performative feminism which is like strong female character she can kick ass and she sleeps with whoever she wants and all this kind of stuff where it is all about you know kind of like showing the trappings of feminism without really living to the letter of it, without living to the law of it and the spirit of it, you know? And I think that S.H.I.E.L.D. does demonstrative feminism where they're like, yeah, this is just how it is. Let's move on and talk about something more interesting. Yes. As opposed to a lot of other shows that do it in this very performative way. Look, our main character is a girl and she's hitting people, so she's strong, you know? And they don't have to think about the fact that women are people not just a collection of characteristics that you decide make her more feminist and i just for the record like i am pro those types of girl power woman power shows but mm-hmm. you have to reckon with what you're making yes you know yes and that means you, you have to be extra vigilant against using 
I mean, sexist tropey bullshit, frankly. I mean, yeah. like, like everyone should avoid it. But if that's the kind of thing you're doing, you should avoid it to the 10th power, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just is is not dealing with it and then is not using the fact that they're not dealing with it to do that tropey stuff either. Right. It's great. Right. It's exactly. Exactly. No. And I absolutely love that, which actually kind of brings me to Sky. Right. Now, Sky was yes. a character that we had a little trouble with. In the beginning, you know, <laughs> gradually has improved, has yes. gradually improved. Um, and I like her here. We don't get a whole lot with her. You know, I mean, she's not a, a main focus aside from those few moments with Ward. And then we're talking about her father. And then we have the episode where she has her first kill. And of course, her heartbeat is completely, you know, fine. But when when Ward mentions her father, then it goes through the roof. So we do get that sense of like who she is. Um, but one of the things that we do with her is um, we do this kind of like secret agent version of losing your virginity, right, which yeah. is the first yes. kill, you know, and I kind of wanted to throw that to you because I think you have a much broader understanding of that as like as a, a theme within these kinds of stories. So I was curious if you had anything to say about that. Well, I'm going to say that I like what S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing there because mm-hmm. there's sort of an action movie drift, you know, that has happened to this idea. Um, if you go back to the first James Bond novel, and I think this yeah. made it into the Casino Royale movie also, but um, but then it became a James Bond movie to a certain extent. So mm-hmm. if you go back to the original James Bond novel... Your double O number, like the thing that got him his double O number, is the fact that he had killed on mission. And Mm -hmm. that's different than being on a mission and having to use deadly force. It kind of means your mission was killing that guy, right? And and I only bring that up to say that once upon a time, that kind of violence in service to a secret agency, to a to a spy Mm -hmm. agency was okay they are emotionally capable of dealing with it which may mean they're emotionally shut down but we have something to do with those people too right like yes. we we can mm-hmm. use those tools also um so it's like they're a, they will take the assignment they will fulfill the assignment and then in bond's case they come home and do it again because it's mm-hmm. the second guy that gets him his double o number Okay. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say I like that Shield, which is in a lot of ways a really fantastical version of espionage, is taking that seriously with Sky because she was mm-hmm. not inculcated into it at the academy and right. years of service. So they at least bring it up. You know, we don't dwell on yeah. it for a super long time, but they at least bring it up. And I like what that says thematically about this show and what they're doing with Sky. A lot. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty good. So how do you like Sky? I mean, again, she was a problem in season one. We gradually got to like her a little bit more. How are you feeling about her in this beginning of this new season? I got some mixed feelings still. I mean, she is much better. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the fact that like gross stuff with Ward as her SO is done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, I still don't care about her a whole lot, you know? And Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're doing, as I keep bringing up secret squirrel bullshit with her heart Mm -hmm. rate, makes me treat her more like a MacGuffin than an actual character. 
Yeah, no, I can definitely understand that. And I feel like there there are things that they're doing, you know, and they are being like, you know, we're moving slowly through it and we don't know exactly what's going on with Sky yet, but obviously clearly something is going on, you know, and we have this stuff with Coulson as well, where he's carving into the wall and he's having this obsessive response to something that, you know, was a was a Cree, you know, technology yes. was done yeah. with Cree blood and so Sky has that too, and so there's this threat. We have that scene where she's lying down on top of of the uh, the image of the writing, you know, and we see that mm-hmm. like connected with her visually, even though we don't really make that connection much narratively in this part of the the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see. I think that Sky is a little tough because she is like kind of a little bit Mary Sue, you know, a little bit too perfect. Everybody's in love yeah. with her. You know, she's got a little bit of that going on. She, of course, knows that something's wrong with Coulson. She knows there's something he's not telling her. She's on to everything. She doesn't really have that that sense of um, of being a misfit, of being vulnerable. She's part of the team. She's kicking ass. May's training her. She can handle herself with Ward. Um, you know, she doesn't really have the kind of vulnerability that she has had. And I think that that makes it a little hard to connect with her. Yeah, and you actually hit something else. Um, mm-hmm. She knows that something's up with Coulson, and he's not telling her. And mm-hmm. whatever else we thought about first season Sky, first season Sky would have dealt with that by going and finding out any damn way, hell with the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the one redeeming character trait that we had from season one, they have taken away from her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that she's she's living within the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the level of indifference that I had for her last season or that I maintain for Ward, but it's just mm-hmm. really like you guys need to give me something with Sky because you clearly expect me to care, but you don't give me any actual reasons to care. Yeah. Fix it. Mm-hmm. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. And and again, going back to some of the other people we've talked about, uh, these are people who are clearly, the creators are clearly capable of doing that because they did it with yeah. Mac and Hunter and uh, Hartley instantly. So yes. mm-hmm. do your damn jobs with Sky. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so one last thing before we move on, because this episode is getting long, but it's really, really good, um, that I wanted to ask you about a little bit is, like, the the, the spy tech gadgets, the the face, you know, that Agent 33 yeah. is able to put on, um, the uh, the retina scanner that uh, Coulson was able to use to break in because he took the picture of the guy that May was flirting with. Um, like, all of these things, I, I usually am bored by tech spy gadgets um but i love the way they do it in agents of shield and as somebody who watches a lot of the stuff and is really much much deeper into the genre than i am i'm wondering are these better tech gadgets than you usually see or is it just that because they're so high techy they just speak to my little tech nerd heart (laughs) i don't know my guess okay my guess for you is that the reason you're fine with these is that they don't get in the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they do the job that they are supposed to do, but they are not magic wands. Like Coulson and May have to keep the mark talking longer because the technology yeah. takes long. It's not just a picture. It's a picture of his friggin' retina from across mm-hmm. the room. <laughs> keep the guy chatting, you know. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so they are they are used as a narrative means to an end mm-hmm. without shortcutting anything. 
You know, like they solve a much bigger problem, but they have a smaller problem mixed into them. And I'll point out all of Peggy's do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. which is the last time that we really talked about this is like she pulls off the watch and the watch just cracks the safe for her. And I was like, this yes. is beautiful because mm-hmm. it doesn't get in the way. It just does its job and moves on. Um, yeah. And I li- I'll also say for S.H.I.E.L.D., this may not matter to you, but I really like is that they're dealing with friggin Hydra. And so yeah. when Hydra just like walks through the ship and sticks a hockey puck that glows <laughs> on their computers, <laughs> they're in a mm-hmm. lot of trouble. And it yeah. should be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. I love when they when Agent 33 put that sabotage, whatever it was, and it had these little octopus arms that came the tentacles that came out and got into the tech. Like, I love the visual design of the tech. I love the also stuff that, that they do with it. Yeah. Yes. Also that because not only not only did it look cool when she did it, but later when they came to look like it just had all like hundreds of tendrils. Yeah. You know, like um. so I love that. And I love the fact that the the look of the eye scanner is basically a cell phone until we see it from the other side. Like there's, yeah. they do a very good job designing it both mm-hmm. physically and narratively. And I, I suspect that's why you're okay with it. You know, um, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I also think that, uh, I mean, again, I have, I have a little more room to appreciate it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, James Bond has a, cigarette with a bullet in it and he's got to talk these morons into putting a cigarette in his mouth and lighting it so he can shoot them i like that too i think you would Uh like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but when it's just like uh i've got a laser watch cool story Mm -hmm. bro um right what what does it matter you know so (laughs) yeah i i'm enjoying that part i love the spy fi parts of shield are yeah they're really increasing my enjoyment overall They're kind of fun. All right. So overall, for these first four episodes of season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Joshua, what is your favorite part? My favorite part is May undercover. (laughs) (laughs) I like that she is claiming she hates it. Well, she does hate it. I think it's not her favorite thing, but she's claiming that she, like, clapped out of the classes so that she could get on with murdering dudes. Right. You know? But that she's also very talented at it. She is, it just says a lot. Like, it's really fun to watch her be Mm -hmm. somebody else to the point that it freaks out her teammates. And it it is also telling us character things about her. Like, she doesn't Mm -hmm. like this part of the job. But she Mm -hmm. is an extremely conscientious agent. And she's going to be good at it anyway, even if she hates it. Yeah. no, Which is really cool. It's so good. It's so good. And and I, I like... It's not part of her being undercover, but talking about that, seeing different sides of her character, watching mm-hmm. her also become the supervising officer to Sky, yeah, is like, okay, good. I am now seeing that on every level she is a super agent, which is what I expected, yes. but it's nice that they're showing us. And mm-hmm. with the undercover, yeah. we got it for 44 straight minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it was so wonderful. I love that. Uh, my favorite part, I have to say, is, of course, I, I think probably I should just have this always as my favorite part. Whatever Fitz did in these episodes that we watched is probably going to be my favorite part. Um, <laughs> but I loved I loved Fitz's arc from isolation to incorporating himself with the team again um, and to having that masculine community at the end. I loved that whole run through i thought it was so brilliantly done and fitz has my heart i just love him no that's it's a good pull that is a really good flex um especially considering how uncomfortable i was with fitz right at the beginning because i didn't know simmons was fake Mm -hmm. you know and so to Mm -hmm. go from that to 
outgrowing her and then to joining this, you know, team of men as a man, but in a way that doesn't lessen anyone around them is, yeah, yes. no, you're, you're right. I should, that should have been, that should have been my favorite part. I was wrong. No, May's undercover <laughs> stuff was so good though. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard to choose a favorite part. Some of this stuff is so damn good. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish producer Alyssa from Dallas. Alyssa supports Chipperish media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to kidnap Talbot and tie him up in her honeycomb kill room. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up, A-Holes a thing. I got to tell you, sometimes I feel like we give weird pictures of our audience, but I'm also into it. So to find out how you, too, can become a Listen Up A-Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer-level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. You can also show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in on the conversation. Links are in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 5 through 7. Until then, Hydra only has one thing on their minds, world domination, which is so 1945.